0: CTSNet friends and podcast pals. My name's Joel Dunning and I'm here presenting the Beat Podcast, giving you all the best and latest news in the world of cardiothoracic surgery. We have a particularly busy edition today because we have some really good vi- videos, as really good papers. We have coronary disease in heart transplantation. We have the Australian take on total arterial grafting. Is it better than vein grafts? Uh, and a really interesting paper from the Cleveland Clinic on TAVA versus standard AVR after grafts. Uh, the videos are really interesting, they're actually a blast from the past. We've got two forgotten techniques just to remind you of. One is PA clamping to see if somebody's suitable for lobectomy or pneumonectomy. The second one is the Cabrol patch to address super difficult bleeding. And finally, a masterclass from Duke Cameron himself on a top of these. We're also going to tell you what the best videos were in August just in case you miss them so don't go away my name is Joel Dunning let's get stuck into it For you, the first one is called "Prevalence Characteristics and Prognostic Relevance of Donor-Transmitted Coronary Artery Disease in Heart Transplants." So this is a paper published in the journal of the *American College of Cardiology* this month, uh, and uh, this is a Spanish paper from La Coruña. But it's actually an 11-transplant center uh, database analysis for 10 years, um, and the question is: um, What is your chance of getting coronary artery? disease after you've had a heart transplant and does it depend on the risk factors of the donor or the recipient Uh, and what is the uh, incidence? I thought this was really quite interesting. I think this is every single transplant centre in Spain. Uh, It's 1,918 transplants which is pretty impressive. Out of those, nearly a thousand of them had coronary angiography. After their transplant, it was sometimes three months or longer after them, but they got all those out, and and out of that, they found 172 patients uh, that had coronary artery disease. That was 18 percent, one in five of patients after transplant have coronary artery disease. They then further subdivided that into significant coronary artery disease, you need to do something about it, which was seven percent, which I still thought was very high, uh, and 11 percent, which was less uh, significant. Um, They actually looked, does this affect your all-cause mortality? Well, not quite, but probably because they had to do some things about it. But does this increase your chance of having MIs or MACE events? Yes, it does. Uh, And the hazard ratio is 2.4, which is quite a bit, really. Um, So the conclusions, well, while it doesn't reduce your chance of survival after transplant, uh, it does cause you problems and there are clinical events. And you have an increased risk of cardiovascular events including mortality and mace. So what does this mean? Well, if one in five people have significant coronary artery disease after their transplantation, then maybe we should be doing coronary angiography standardly in all transplant patients. Uh, I guess these days it probably doesn't mean invasive angiography, it probably means a CT angiogram. Uh, so what do you think? I think it probably is worth it now. If one in five pickup rate, uh, maybe we should be finding these uh, out. So I thought that was a really interesting paper. Click in the notes below to to find out more about this interesting paper. The second uh, paper was from Australia. There are fantastic authors. Alistair Royce, an absolute giant of kydex surgery down in Australia, uh, and Justin Wren, a co-author, they went and looked at the national database from Australia. And Australia love arterial grafting. Um, I think they're reimbursed per arterial graft as well as venous grafts, and the arterial grafts are reimbursed better. So they've always done a lot of arterial grafting. Uh, It it, uh, really has been a big thing out there and so in their database of 20 years 69,000 patients having revascularization in 59 cardiac centers uh, really a huge database they looked at the all cause mortality 30 30 day mortality diabetics non-diabetics and they got a load of um, matched pairs out of this so so they had a really good look and um, and, uh, and when they matched, obviously the big problem with not doing a randomised trial, but how could you do it in something that big, is that there's going to be reasons why you aren't using Beamer, especially when they really like doing it. So, yep, um, the Beamer group had less comorbidities, less hypertension, less diabetes, less smoking, less dialysis, less arrhythmias, less urgent cases, less cerebrovascular events compared to the, the single uh, arterial graft and the rest veins. But uh, even with what they said was the propensity matching and uh, with uh, with full analysis, they said there was still a mortality advantage with a hazard ratio of 0.88. And it did not cross uh, the interval. We're going to provide you uh, with the uh, figure from this paper. So take a look at this. So there is a mortality benefit with using at least a second arterial graph. Now, the difference isn't huge, uh, but, but I suspect uh, quite a lot of the reasons for it not being quite so huge which is because we've had to uh, propensity match so much to get the groups equal because they really aren't equal groups. Uh, but this is huge. There probably won't be many bigger cohort studies in this. It does show a superiority of having two arterial graphs. So well done, uh, the group from Australia. The third paper we have for you this week uh, is a paper from the Cleveland Clinic, uh, the giant of statistical analysis. Eugene Blackstone has been doing his stuff. Uh, and uh, interesting, the co-author list is like a who's who of cardiac surgery. We've got Lars Svensson. Uh, we've got Eric Roselli. We've got to Mark Gillenoff, uh, And uh, and so a really impressive people have contributed to this paper. And what is the title? Well, the title is looking at people that have had coronary bypass grafts and then have presented with severe aortic stenosis and I know these present quite a headache for all of us don't they because a redo surgery how are we going to not hit the grafts how are we going to do this operation you know it's really quite technically tricky Uh, if we haven't tucked those grafts away by tunneling it through the pericardium or it's someone else's set of grafts and you don't know really where those are then it really is very difficult to dig them out or find them or do you do cross lump fibrillation and just ignore the fact the grafts are still perfusing so it does give us a lot of technical challenges doing uh, avrs after previous grafts so tavi why don't you do a transfemoral aortic valve replacement or a transcatheter uh, intervention and that was what this paper looked at. It looked at uh, groups having both uh, at their clinic. So just to look at some of the numbers here from 2006 to 2020 that's uh, 14 years of of TAVI uh, versus CABG. They identified 1000 patients uh, having this surgically uh, and they identified 315 patients having uh, a TAVA. And, uh, and they looked at uh, at how they did. Well, I'm sure you won't be too surprised but uh, when I tell you that uh, if you have a TAVA, you're gonna have fewer blood transfusions, uh, you're gonna have less AF, you're gonna have less prolonged ventilation, um, actually the other way around a permanent pacemaker was 9% versus 5% um, and uh, stroke was actually low in both groups at 0.4% versus 2%. Uh, operative mortality was also very low in both 0.5% versus one7 uh, which was non-significant. So the TAVA group has a shorter of length of stay and obviously uh, two days versus 7.6 days. Um, And um, so so it does seem, uh, as this paper reports, that you get uh, less length of stay, uh, lower comorbidity, probably safer in the short term. And, uh, and we wait to see what the long-term results might be. but if you're if you've got comorbidities, if you need just a smash and grab, get the valve in uh, and get get the patient home safely, then maybe uh, the Cleveland clinic are telling you that maybe go for a tavern unless they're particularly fit patients or you want to put a mechanical valve in uh, or they've got a small aortic root. Um, then, then probably TAVA is, is the intervention of choice. That's what the Cleveland Clinic tells us and they've been voted number one centre for 29 years running. Uh, so, so that's them. So we're now going to move on to our videos but first I'd like to hand you over to the CTSNet office that will tell you what else is on offer on the CTSNet website this week. CTSnet's ninth annual resident video competition is now open for submissions. Residents and medical students of all CT surgical specialties are eligible to submit surgical videos for a chance to win prominent publication on CTSnet and an exclusive interview with the judges. The deadline to submit is December 29, 2023. To learn more, head to the resident video competition page on ctsnet.org. Thank you very much for that. We're now going to take a little bit of a blast from the past. We've got two videos that dig up what you might call fairly historical techniques and uh, things. Actually, neither of them I was aware of. Um, I won't tell you how many years I've been in cardiothoracic surgery, but it's enough that maybe I should have known about these techniques, but I didn't know of either. So there's a cardiac and a thoracic one. So we'll start, first of all, with the thoracic one. So the title of this paper is Intraoperative Unilateral Pulmonary Artery Clamping Test, First VATS Documentation of a Years-Old Technique. Um, This is a great paper by Stefan Welter, uh, from the hema clinic in germany and is narrated by varun gupta so well done to them uh, this very high risk patient uh, was in i was 85 years old uh, they'd uh, suffered weight loss severe fatigue and they had a really big tumor in the right middle and lower lobe but their dlco was 36 percent. their vo2 max was less than 10 Um, they'd been classified as inoperable but the patient was really insistent because what else can you do it was a big tumor it was about six seven centimeters in size we all know radiotherapy is not going to kill that and he really wanted surgery if possible so the multidisciplinary team said okay let's take you to theater let's um let's isolate the middle and lower pulmonary artery. Um, They actually did a really nice job. If you want to see a really good job of a VATS um, subcarinal dissection, getting all the lymph nodes out, tunneling between the middle and upper lobe vein, tunneling over the PA and identifying it between the veins anteriorly. This is a really nice video showing that. And then the really nice thing, they just got a clamp um, between the middle and upper lobe vein through their tunnel and clamped the pulmonary artery. And uh, what they did is they turned the oxygenation 100% went on to two lungs and then they said and this is what the age-old technique was if you get the po2 after five minutes above 300 millimeters of mercury then that patient will be suitable for the bilobectomy or pneumonectomy because that is a technique for pneumonectomy in the past and uh, this patient got to 380 determined to be safe to complete the bilobectomy, and they did Um, so This patient had lots of comorbidities, spent a little while in hospital afterwards, but 10 days after surgery went home uh, and is uh, performing daily activities and going for strolls post-operatively. So that technique, an intraoperative technique, did help with that case. Something I wasn't aware of, but I thought, um, yep, that's pretty useful. So the second uh, really interesting uh, video we've got is again, another thing I'd never heard of. Um, and the title of this is The Cabrol Patch with a Coulee Fistula. A useful tool for difficult to control bleeding. Um, this is by Tung Vu and Steven Spindle from uh, the Oshner Medical Center in New Orleans, USA. Really, really good. I think Every cardiac surgeon should know this technique because it was fascinating. And it really helped them out of a hole. Um, so it's a really good video because it really honestly demonstrates the problem they had. They had a patient that had previously uh, undergone aortic valve replacement uh, with two vessels, had coronary artery bypass grafts in there, and then came back a year later with, yep, you guessed it, the nightmare endocarditis. So they had to do redo surgery, they had to do a bentles procedure, they had to do coronary buttons. They are really quite elderly um, and um, did a really nice job of it. And the video is beautiful, showing the valve coming out, uh, the infection of the root abscess. You know, did a lovely job, but the coronary buttons were starting to fall apart at the end and they were bleeding and oozing. So what did they do? Well, they did this thing called the cabrol patch with the coolie. Um, fistula. So what's the principle of this? Well, the coronary buttons, they did loads of stitches and it was just oozing and oozing and oozing. So you've got arterial pressure ooze coming from coronary buttons. So the principle of this patch with a fistula is you make a hole in the right uh, atrium, but then you do a patch over everything. So basically all that blood at arterial pressure will never get up to arterial pressure. It'll only ever be venous pressure because the patch will make it all uh, drain back into the right atrium which is only at CVP so the pressure in this under this patch is only the CVP 12 millimeters of mercury it's not going to ever get to arterial pressure so you'll not get a tamponade Um, it'll all just drain back into the right atrium and of course when the bleeding stops because it's very low flow it's going to stop eventually it'll all just clot off and turn into a massive piece of thrombus so they do a lovely video of stitching the coulis patch all around the aorta, they went, up the per up the uh, pleural side, up the in the arch of the aorta, down uh, the pericardium on the other side, and over the right ventricle. They did make the very good point that of course this is really only usable in redo surgery because if you had a transverse sinus, then all the blood would squirt to the back of the chest, and they don't recommend stitching a transverse sinus shut. But in redo surgery, which you know um, endocarditis post valve is is the standard situation, then this Cabrol patch might just help help you out of a sticky situation one day if you watch this video. So great job, I really recommend it. It's a 15 minute video, it's a beaut. Uh, So check that out uh, when you have time. Um, and the next video we have for you, the third one in our series, is an absolute gem. Uh, Duke Cameron, who needs no introduction, past president of CTSNet, uh, uh, worked at Boston, you know, has seen it all, done it all, the father of uh, uh, surgery for Marfans, did a wonderful uh, video on aortopathies for the Birmingham Review Course last year. Um, of note, the Birmingham Review Course is coming up this year, so it's really wonderful. It's in its 30th year, so do sign up to it uh, if you're really interested interested. interested in seeing the latest videos from this year's course, but this video is an absolute banger. He first of all goes through all the aortopathies, so bicuspid valve disease, Marfan's, Lois Dietz, Turner syndrome, familial aneurysms, congenital aortopathies, even touches on the association between antibiotics, uh, the fluoroquinolones and dissection. Uh, It's about 30 minutes and there's some really nice interaction at the end from Malcolm Underwood from Hong Kong and a few other authors asking him, grilling him, about the things they all wanted to know from the godfather of aortic surgery. So, great video, worth 30 minutes, uh, especially if you're an aortic surgeon. So, that's all our videos and Jan's presentations for this week, but we've actually got a lot more to go through. I'll just let you know um, a little bit about... um, about uh, things going on. There's a uh, World Neurosciences and Psychiatry Conference in Singapore, um, which uh, which uh, is on September 8th to 9th. It's in our calendar. Slightly strange, not really cardiothoracic. But there's also the uh, CREF, uh, Annual Cardiothoracic Surgery Symposium. Uh, and that's in San Diego, September 13th to 16th. That's next week. So, uh, so do check that out if you haven't already looked at it. Um, uh, We've also uh, just posted um, the fantastic webinar by Sammy Syed. Sammy Syed got a load of wonderful cardiothoracic congenital surgeons together to talk about all the right axillary thoracotomy approaches for a wide variety of congenital heart defects so do check that out. It's up and live now. It's really, really good, really interesting and I think it opens up a whole new world of minimally invasive in congenital surgery so it's really good So um, and, and I do also want to go through a bit of a list of all the things that were most popular in August, because sometimes... When I'm a bit busy or if I've been on holiday, uh, I sometimes miss some of the content. So it's quite nice to know what was best uh, in a month. And so the number one most popular content in August was um, the really interesting video by Steven Spindle about aortic arch debranching as an off pump technique. Um, this video is really great, I loved it. Uh, they had a type B aortic dissection, but they needed to land at a, a, a T-var. Um, too proximal. They needed to cover uh, the left subclavin and the left carotid. So basically they show us uh, they did the Uh, the stenotomy, they then cross-clumped the aorta, they did a really proximal aortic anastomosis, then one by one they did the anominate, they then did the left carotid and then they did a carotid to subclavian uh, graft. So yeah really, really nice. Uh, That was great. The number two most popular one was a really good demonstration by Bo Yang. Uh, It was his uh, talk at the Australian conference all about the Yang technique for aortic root enlargement, telling us how important he thinks it is to have a 29 millimeter valve in every patient that shocks me, but uh, but he you know gives a very convincing demonstration about patient prosthesis mismatch, how it's real and it exists, but also gives the Yang technique, which looks to me a lot simpler than the Nix or the Manoogian, uh, and certainly a Conno. So so yeah, do take a look at that as well. The best paper. Uh, we got of uh, of August uh, was all about uh, what was the choice of conduit for coronary artery bypass grafting, the expert consensus uh, between EACs and the STS I loved it, it was so useful it was really sensible, gave great tips it's not it's not telling you what to do it's telling you what the evidence is so, so I really liked that one, that was my favourite as well um, and also uh, another real favourite was the rebuttal to the very not well done uh, chronic Coronary disease guidelines uh, of the ACC AHA, Uh, a real not to miss uh, video all about why Faisal Bikin and many other people think they got it wrong and that we should have a level one indication for triple vessel disease um, uh, in our patients. So that was really, really good. I liked that. So do check out the show notes below. We've put a list of all the other favourites from August in case you were away on holiday, and many were, and uh, and I hope you enjoy some of those postings. Finally, we've got two more things. Uh, where's Diego, the world roving surgeon, who is now working really hard for his foundation? He's actually just come out with a book that, uh, that uh, all, this, all the uh, proceeds will come to his foundation. And he has been in Peru uh, doing operations. And interestingly, he just posted a full unedited video of uniportal robotic surgery right upper lobe sleeve resection. So if you want to see some of that, uh, do check that out. And check us out next week, where we will find out where Diego is in the world. And finally, I would really like to do an honorable mention. This is a very special honorable mention because we have a great delight in announcing our new senior CTSNet cardiac editor. And uh, she is wonderful. Her name is Lorena Montas Villalobos, um, she is the new cardiac editor. Uh, She uh, spent her early childhood in France uh, before returning to Colombia, which is the place of her birth, uh, and she did her education there. She then completed her medical studies um, in in several other countries, uh, including... uh, including Spain and Germany and now works at uh, at the fifth largest city in Colombia in the Fudacian Cardiovascular Centre interestingly with her husband who's her boss but uh, we're going to post a little uh, article that was written about her in the European Journal it was called A Rising Star because she is an absolute rocket so she's going to be our senior cardiac editor, she's really involved in LACES, the Latin America Cardiovascular Society so we're going to try and get a load more Latin American videos, try and get our colleagues down there to post and, and learn from them because they do some wonderful operations. And, and we really look forward to hearing a lot more from Lorena. So, thank you, Lorena, for uh, agreeing to be our special uh, new editor. And you're going to hear a lot more from her and her unit and Latin America in the months to come. So, that's all for the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for watching all the way to the end. It's much appreciated. And if you have any good videos or tips, or want to get in contact please just do contact me joel dunning at CTSnet, or any of the staff uh, or submit away we'd love to hear from you thank you very much